We're in a series called uh, Rescued from Religion, uh, trying to deal with the things that make church and life uh, stink, the beliefs that make us stink. And last week I gave uh, uh, an assignment. I asked, uh, I asked you to spend some time during the week monitoring and thinking about the rules that you were taught as a kid about what faith was that may not be really uh, what relationship with God is all about in religion. And I had a, a number of people take me up on that, both through email and through Facebook. And I had an interesting response from one person that actually is going to be in the after the message this week. Uh, they took our comparison of religion rules versus relationship and actually applied it in their uh, Bible study this last week and came up with a grid of what would the Ten Commandments look like through a relationship lens. And I thought it was so well done. I'm going to actually put that in the after the week, after the message this week, and you'll get to see that. Uh, but I had a number of uh, people give me ideas of things that they uh, were told about what being a good follower of Christ is all about. And I wanted to share just a couple of them with you. Uh, one uh, one uh, guy, you, you'll notice that this is a, maybe a little bit older a generation person, said this. He said, uh, don't go to those, he was always told, don't go to those sinful Roy Rogers movies. <laughs> because if Jesus comes while you're in the theater, you'll be left behind. Uh, and here's, here's a lady who, who wrote me and said this. She said, uh, I was always told that you don't wear shorts to Sunday evening service. Does that mean you can wear shorts to Sunday morning? But not, I, I didn't, didn't ask that. And she says, otherwise, this is what she was told. Otherwise, people will wonder, is she or isn't she? And then she goes on and says, I was 12 years old. I didn't even know what they were wondering with is she or isn't she. It's just that I was told not to wear shorts to church. And then, you know, one of my favorites that I hear all the time, but we heard several times this week as well, I was taught that you couldn't play cards. And uh, my grandpa had that same thing told to him, and he told it to us, and then he changed when he retired and spent winters in Texas. And all of a sudden, and I understood why he was told not to play cards, because he was viciously competitive, even with us as young grandkids. Um, here's another one. Uh, somebody said, I was involved with campus ministry in college, and I felt that if I didn't do everything exactly the way everyone else did, that I just wasn't a good Christian. And that really sounds like Jesus sent here to, you know, he created us all so much alike. We're all the same. We just, we just are all wired the same way. We should just do everything the same, right? Sorry about sarcasm. Here's one, and I really enjoyed this one because of who sent it. Uh, this person was told that lipstick was bad. If you wore lipstick, you weren't really a Christian. And so he says, I've, I've avoided it ever since. He, he said it. I've avoided it ever since. Sorry. It's a pastor friend from Cheyenne, Wyoming, actually, on Facebook saw it and responded to me on that. Uh, here's another guy who's a, who's a friend of mine from the past who used to be a college president and, uh, years and years ago, and he said, the college board refused to let me accept a gift a gifted pool table for the student lounge because for some reason pool was evil. I don't know, what is it, the sticks? Do you poke everybody with them? What makes the pool evil? Uh, he said, but later the college installed one that had the ability to play only if you paid. So he says, I think they got a cut of the proceeds. And isn't that the way religion rules sometimes are? When money's tight, we, uh, we bend some things, unfortunately, if we're religious. Here's another one. Wear your best to church because God expects you to look the best. And, uh, and another one that uh, we hear all the time that is clearly not in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. Um, 
Here's another one. A mom was told, uh, 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 this person's mom told her that if the rapture happened while she was at the movies wearing makeup or short hair, that's kind of tough. If you have short hair, it takes a little while for you to be accepted again, doesn't it? And how long should it be? Is it supposed to be four inches? 4.5? 4.6 inches? How far do you go? Another person actually emailed me and said, you know, we had a book in our church that listed at least 300 rules additional to the Bible that you had to follow in order to be a good Christian. And it was so complicated to follow. And that's actually one thing I didn't say last week. Religion always makes faith complicated. Relationship is really very simple. And that's actually one of the reasons why sometimes I wonder if I'm going to run out of material to preach because really... Faith in relationship is just really simple. It's not that complicated. And we get religious trying to make it complicated. And here's one that I heard several times. I'm just going to summarize several of the comments that came in. Uh, when and, they, were, they were told as youth and youth programs that, that the men and the women, the girls and the boys, shouldn't swim together because they might get pregnant. I'm not sure that's how it works. If that's really how it works, then I think we need to rule out candlelight dinners too, don't you think so? So what's the deal with the candle today? Well, first of all, I figured that maybe if it was a tough week, it would make you more comfortable so you could sleep and not be seen by anybody. In fact, if you're already asleep and you're sitting next to somebody who's already asleep, then just tell them I, I said it was okay. Don't wake them up. Just let them sleep. Tell them afterwards what I said. But really this week to me is about getting at the core of what makes us tired as followers of Christ. What really makes us tired. And when we get trapped by religion in some of the ways we're going to talk about today and even in the rest of the series, it just makes you tired. And actually, the main reason for the candle is getting ready for this message. I was, I was reminded of a, uh, of a song that many of you probably sang as children growing up. And uh, even if you weren't in church, you may have heard it a few years ago. It was popularized and secularized by somebody and sung by, I can't remember, I forget what it was. I should have looked it up. But it was, you know, like one of those save the earth type, lots of people getting together and sing, lots of famous people getting together and sing. So, so here, if you remember the song, let's sing it together. It, it goes like this. And, and you have to hold your finger up, right? I've got a candle, but if you don't have a candle, you've got to hold your finger up and you've got to say, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Okay, and then get the barrier ready. Won't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. Won't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And this is where it ties to the scripture directly. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. And then the next verse goes, let it shine till Jesus comes. But we're not going to sing it because you'll think the service is going to go till Jesus comes. (laughs) So what's the main application point? Go ahead and bring the lights up earlier than we did last time. What's the main application point for this song that you heard as a child? What was the main message you took away from this song, which is, which is tied to a scripture verse? 
You know, for me, it was, it was that if I don't share my light every day with people, if I don't tell people every day about who Jesus is, then I am hiding my light under a bushel and I am a bad Christian and I am letting Satan get a control in my life and blow it out. And so therefore, my main goal as a Christian is to sell people on Jesus every single day because if not, my light's under a bushel. And I don't want it to be. And I can sing this song all I want. And and I think the reason we like this song is because it's much like a lot of our patriotic songs. It's one of these songs that says, yes, we're all going to do this together. Yes, we're not going to let Satan blow it out. Yes, we're not going to hide it. Yes, we're going to show people what it is. And we're going to go, we're going to run into this battle and we're going to win. And it's just one of those patriotic things that makes you want to work hard and really do the right thing. But the song, I'm going to ruin it for you permanently today. The song is so religious. And it's really not even right. In fact, in fact, one of the distinctions we made last week between religion and relationship is that religion makes things about me. Relationship makes it about God. And it's so easy for us to read Scripture and treat Scripture like this prescriptive manual that has to tell us exactly how we should behave. That It's so easy to read Scripture and make it about us. This is the story of mankind. This is the story of what makes us good enough. This is the story of the things that we have to do. And the reality is that the Bible is only secondarily prescriptive. It is primarily the story of God's patient, gracious, kind, long-suffering interaction with a humankind, with you and me, even while we're messed up and everything. Religion really gets the cart before the horse. And think about that image for a second. We talk about that image on a regular basis. In fact, you can see, I think, a really good illustration of it right here. Think about that image for a second. Both the cart and the horse are needed, right? Right? And the problem is, they really are. But they're just in the wrong order. And that's what, re, that's what religion does to us. We get the works, the things that we're supposed to do, out of order, out in, the, in the wrong place, and we end up looking like this, and it ends up being dead and dry. It's not necessarily that those behaviors or those things that we've talked about are necessarily always even wrong. But when they're not following relationship, a relationship of love, it becomes dead dead, tiring religion. So, this little light of mine, it actually comes from a passage in Luke 11. And we read it wrongly when we sing the song and think that the song actually accurately reflects this, this verse. Luke 11:33 it says, No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will, stay, where it will, st- will be hidden or under the bowl. Instead, he puts it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Now, here's, here's where we get wrong. Whose light is it? Who, do, who, does the repre- who does the light represent? See, the song, religion, says the light is me. I'm the one who has to shine. I'm the one who has to be good enough because the only way anybody will come to Jesus is if I am good enough, if I am so much better than everybody else around me that they want to be like me. 
But relationship says it's about God, and that's what Jesus is saying here. The light is God. It's not us. And another lesson about understanding the Bible that we so often miss because it's so easy for us to want to interpret things religiously about me, we often miss the context. Even the context here, starting in the very next verse, Jesus goes on to say this in trying to help you understand the meaning of it. He says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are bad, your body is also, is also full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Wouldn't that be tragic for us to live light, live life in darkness, thinking we're in light? He says, therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be completely lighted as when the light of a lamp shines on you. And then the context even goes further on where Jesus, we see Jesus confronting religion even further in his interactions with the Pharisee in that same passage. The context of this passage is all about, it's not about primarily about what we do to sell other people on Jesus. It's about us. It's about God in our lives. Shining for others is a secondary focus. But we pick that up because we like the pride that it brings to us. We like the control that it makes us have. And, and we feel like, yes, if we can just do this, that makes us feel good about ourselves. And instead of really facing the scary part of, of the message, which, which Jesus could, could, we could summarize Jesus is saying this. He's asking us, how willing are you to let my light shine in you? How willing are you to let me shine in you? Not even necessarily on others. That's a secondary part of this whole message. And Jesus is posing a second question. Where is your intent focus in life? Where where you're focusing will determine whether light's getting in or not. What are the intentional things you're doing in your life to allow his light into every area of your life? And then acting on those things based upon what you see. And, and thirdly, he's saying this. Allowing my light into your life is an all or nothing deal. Again, religion likes to always find the balance and exclude things. But, but Jesus makes these extreme demanding statements of it. says it's either all or nothing. And whether all or nothing means that we, we can't live life, maybe, maybe all, of it, all or nothing means that, that we're completely dark if, if we don't let all of it into all areas. Or, or maybe it just means that this, that maybe we let light in a few areas, but if we allow darkness in any area, it affects everything. And religion, darkness, sin in one area affects every relationship of our life. Really? You're saying it affects my marriage, it affects everything? Yes. Religion, any left in us, affects every area of our life. And it's easy for us to see when we look at the silly religious rules like playing cards or, or swimming and all those kinds of things. It's easiest for us to dismiss it and say that. But, but, but it's harder for us to see how it affects all of our lives in other areas. And, and, and here's how it is. Because, because religion is driven by needing to measure up, by needing to look good, by earning what we get. And therefore, for many of us, we receive this thing that we understand as a free gift of salvation from Jesus, but then we live life like we live the rest of our life when we get gifts, like there's a payback that we need to do. Instead of it really being truly free, there's a payback. I mean, think about it. 
I have three brothers, and you know, and, and we, we, we established this rule, and it's kind of passed down from the generation before us as well, that there were these rules around Christmas and gift-giving and, and birthdays. And, and basically the, the rules were when, you're, when the kids get to certain age, then all the aunts and uncles aren't required to give a gift to them anymore. You know, and then we had all these rules. And, and there were these rules, too, among the family members saying, okay, somebody don't give them a $500 gift when we can only afford a $1,500 gift. So let's... Or fi, fi, uh, fi, that would be really nice, wouldn't it? A $15 gift. Uh, you know, so there were even rules surrounding how much you could give. And, and, and I remember times when those rules were violated. And the reaction was, oh, my gosh, how am I ever going to afford to pay them back? And don't we live life like that? We live life like that in our relationships and our families. Even from acts of service, we live, like, we live life like that in our marriages. Man, how many times have you come home and brought a nice gift to your wife and, 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 and instead of being completely thrilled, her reaction is, I'm exhausted. Does this mean I need to pay you back with sex? And it creates tension in your relationship. I mean, this is something that drives so many areas of our lives. Living life through paybacks, earning what we get, measuring up. And it's just really hard to reconcile this free, not, not, not cheap, but this free, extremely costly gift that Jesus gives us of his love. So we look at it a little bit more in the passage. What does it mean to let the light shine for others and not hide it? Because that is obviously, even though it's a secondary element, it's obviously an element of this passage. And what attracts others to God seems to me to be an obvious question when we ask that of ourselves. And religion says it's how good we are. It's, it's like living life spit-shined. You know, we, we, we have to shine ourselves up. We have to put our Sunday best on. We have to look good in order for people to want to be attracted to Jesus in us or, or to Jesus, period. And, and, and you know what? Honestly, I... I realized how much I fail in life because I went online and I looked up. I don't know why I did this. I looked up online spit-shining shoes. And it was just completely demoralizing because the first site I went to, which wasn't even a site where you're supposed to shine your shoes for like military dress spit-shine, basically said if you're going to give your shoes a nice shine, it'll take you an hour. I've never spent more than five minutes shining shoes. In fact, I, I kind of intentionally, ornery me sometimes, didn't even shine my shoes for Sunday today because I didn't want to spit shine them. And I looked at other sites and said, you know, you spit shine your shoes this way and you stick them in the oven at 350 for a couple hours and then you, then you buff them out. Or, or other, other sites were saying, well, you need a heat gun and, or, or, a, or a lighter and wax. And I mean, it just was complicated and messy and and... And that's a lot like we do religion a lot of times. We're working really hard to look really good. And we look for all the rules and we spend so much time setting up these boundaries so we look good and we can't go out of the place. And the reality is we can spit shine our shoes all we want and when we're trying to, follow, when we're trying to, to, to measure up to God, it still doesn't make, it, make us sweat any less and it doesn't make our feet stink any less. It's just that they look pretty and they look nice on the outside. And you see, we never realize that rules and religion can't heal us. They can't change us. 
And so many people that are successful at doing religion, you see them trade one socially unacceptable addiction for another addiction that's just more socially acceptable. Maybe they used to drink like crazy and now they just run like crazy, but they still neglect their families or still neglect their emotional or or, or spiritual health. Or You know, we see people trade addictions all the time. It's just one's more socially acceptable. And we fall into this trap in in our pursuit of faith that if we just do the right things long enough, If we just live the right way long enough, things inside of us will change. And it's a trap. And it's a lie. Because if you've been a Christian trying to follow Jesus for 20, 30, 40 years, you know you've worked hard and you know that in some areas of your life, you're still just as tempted or almost just as tempted with things and sometimes, and oftentimes even fall into the same bad habits of anger or, or other issues that you had. Maybe you've cleaned it up some, but you've never fully conquered it. It just doesn't work and it doesn't change it inside. There's a guy named Jeff Van Vonderen who's made an impact on my life. He actually, um, he actually, I don't know if it's still on, but used to lead, uh, was the founder and, and the, 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 the guy, the leader, the forgetting the word, but he, he had a show called Intervention on A&E and uh, used to intervene in people's lives where there was addiction going on and, and that, was what the, that was what the whole reality show was about. And he wrote a book called Tired of Trying to Measure Up. He's a Christian. And, and as he grew up in church, and, and as he describes himself, he, he was the guy who performed. He became what everybody wanted to do. He knew all the rules. He followed all the rules. He became the head of the youth group. He, he would describe himself now, probably back then, as a self-righteous jerk. And we talked last night about how the fact that religion either leads us to being self-righteous jerks or leads us to despair. And religion either leads us to being more religious or leads us to rebellion. And he says this about his story. He says, by the time I reached my early 20s, I had a full-blown addiction to drugs and alcohol. He said, I was sick and tired of doing good. So I gave up entirely. He said, I burned out my physical body, not to mention my money, family, and friends. And, And that's just a good illustration of the fact that religion damages every relationship we have whether we're self-righteous or whether we allow it to lead us to despair, it will damage every relationship we have in life. He said, I'd become the total opposite of everything I stood for in just a few short years. I no longer even tried to understand why all the good things I had done, all those scriptures I had planted in my brain and all the commitments I'd made to God had so little power to keep me from sinking into this mess. I decided, he says, that it had to be something about me. There was some kind of defect in me. If Christianity can be, could be compared to an assembly line, he says, then I was a reject on God's conveyor belt. Whatever I'd done to be a good Christian, it hadn't been enough to keep me that way. And I was at the lowest point of my life. And I actually read this book, Tired of Trying to Measure Up, at one of the lowest points in my life, which I've referred to many times, coming out of four years of depression because of religion making me hit the wall of despair. And then he goes on to describe how he came to, briefly, how he came to a major turning point in his life that allowed God and his peace to start to filter back in his life. And then he says this about that. He says, as Christians, you and I might be quick to say that I finally came to repentance. By that, we normally would mean that I, came, that I made a 180 degree turn away from sin and bad behavior and started behaving like a Christian again. But that's not exactly what happened, Jeff says. The truth is, 
the prospect of once again becoming a pillar in the religious community and starting to perform in a positive way left the taste of dust in my mouth. It felt like going back to prison. Besides that, I knew it wouldn't work. He goes on to say, the first thing I came to face to face with was my deep abiding sense of defectiveness, which he says I now would identify as a sense of shame. And you see, shame is often confused with guilt in our lives, but they're not the same. God created you and me that when we do something wrong, there's like this nerve-ending pain response called guilt in us that pricks our conscience and tries to lead us back to God and tries to lead us to repentance. And in that sense, guilt is a healthy thing in our lives. But shame, on the other hand, is feeling, is not just a feeling, though we talk about it like that. It is a sense, it is a mindset. It is an attitude. It's a deep belief that something is wrong with you. It's something that you can, you can live with and not necessarily be even aware of. It's not that you feel bad about your behavior. You feel bad about yourself. You are deficient. You are defective. You are worthless as a human being. And consequently, I think all of us develop shame-based ways of looking at life and faith, and relationship. And shame is what ultimately drives religion. It's trying to deal with shame that ultimately drives religion. And we're going to deal much more in depth with that topic next week, but here's the point I want to make now. Jesus, in giving us this illustration of this light shining on us, is really making the same point he makes over and over again, that he wants us to change from the inside out. It's, he wants the light to enter and encompass our whole being inside of us. He, and, he, and he talks about in many places about not being whitewashed tombs or not cleaning just the outside of the cup, but clean the inside of the cup. And he, and he uses this thing called changing us from the inside out. And we talk about that all the time. In fact, you don't even have to be a Christian to talk about that. That's such a common, common cliche. And yet we don't really know what that means because most of the time when we look at that cliche of changing from the inside out we look at it through a religious lens and it simply means that we try harder to clean up our morality that we try harder to clean up our the management of our emotions and we just really work hard if we just do these things we'll be good enough on the inside and and it even gets translated into this in church that you can't do anything for god until you get to a certain point of cleanness And those are all lies of religion. Think about it through a relationship lens. When you get rejected, maybe you've been through a divorce, or maybe you can remember a time when you were rejected by a boyfriend or a girlfriend or rejected by someone close to you, just utterly rejected. Where do you feel it? How do you feel it? For me, when that happens... I just get this sickening feel in my gut. 
and my chest feels like it's going to cave in on me and it just leads to stress and I have a hard time coping with life. And, and, and for most of us, when we get rejected, we, we're, we're tempted to just close off part of ourselves, to shut down an emotion. If it happens in, in, in business, we just decide to put up turf wars and we put up barriers and we know we won't talk about this. There are these don't talk things that we put about in the life and these, these don't feel things that we put in life out there that we won't deal with these issues. You can't talk about X with so-and-so. Otherwise, you're going to have a problem. And, and there's, we, we close ourselves off and, and, and we end up living that way for years. And all of a sudden, we find out and we think one day in, med- in, in thinking about our life, we go, you know what? I used to laugh a lot. I don't laugh as much anymore. Where did that go? I used to walk out into a beautiful, sunshiny day and, and just feel the warmth and it would just make me feel so alive and so happy. And now I walk out and a, a beautiful, sunshine day is just like, okay, at least it's not going to rain on us today. And you see, we close ourselves off from God too in the same way as when we get rejected. We, we put walls up and keep Him away and or we, or we create, create compartments where He can be involved in and compartments where He can't. And, but let me ask the opposite. When you've been really rejected and someone comes and loves you so deeply, especially in that area, where do you feel it and what happens in you? Don't you feel the same thing? If you've had an argument with your spouse or your family and you just feel like you're, you're mud and it's just never going to be, it's going to go down the tubes and things are going to be bad and you feel rejected and then all of a sudden you feel loved and you feel fully accepted, doesn't it also just melt that in your stomach and, and doesn't, it, doesn't it make your chest just ease up and breathe with life again? You see, being changed from the inside out is all about whether we understand how loved we really are by God. Because being unloved or loved affects us from the inside out. Change from the inside out begins by us focusing on a relationship of trust, trusting the fact that God actually really does love us and fully accept us. And it's only from that position that we can actually change. Because if we don't have that solved in our life, then we're constantly just simply trying to measure up. We're constantly trying to work harder to overcome that rejection and make that person accept us. And that's what changing from the outside in is. When we try to perform, when we try to do things better, when we work really hard, instead of just learning to accept that God fully loves us, not rules, but relationships. Relationship. And all of our actions come out of that deep well of just gratefulness and peace and and gladness that we're so loved. Not as paybacks, but because we're so loved. So the passage, let your light shine that others may see it. You know, it's God's light. And Jesus wants that light to shine on you because you're in the room and them. Letting our light shine is really more about being willing to let people see us for who we are. To not hide it under a bushel because we don't want people to see us, because we don't want them to see how dirty our house is, but to allow the light to shine. And for people to see God's grace, for people to see how much we trust His grace, even in all of our mucked upness of life. That's what God is saying to us. 
It's really more about authentic relationships. It's really more about being real than being spit shine and trying to show people how much better you are than they are, how much God has done to change your life. It's more about being real and just letting God shine. Yet so often in church, we hide our problems. You know, we're going through a difficult time in our marriage and we won't tell anybody around us. We're going through difficult financial times and we won't let anybody in. We're struggling with our kids. We're struggling with our anger. We're struggling with whatever we're struggling with. We won't let people know because we don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to look bad. And there's even a study that shows that if people go to counseling in a church for a serious issue, that when they're done, they'll typically leave that church. Why? Because they want to go to a place where nobody knows their baggage, where they can have a fresh start. And that is a lie of religion. And that results and robs people of so much life in God because they never experience what God is saying here. He's not just saying that we need to learn to experience this mystical grace and love of God, but he realizes that we also have to have human flesh to that. And that we will never get over our shame. We will never have those dark areas of our life exposed unless we're willing to allow the light to shine on us even in the midst of community with other people. Even in the midst of community with people who don't know Him yet. That we need to experience that same grace from others even if it's imperfect. Even if it's imperfect in order for shame to be completely rooted out of our life as long as we allow ourselves to bounce around because we're embarrassed because somebody knows really who we are, then we will always have shame and we will never find the grace and freedom that God wants in our lives. And we will never find the power of transformation and being changed from the inside out. The Bible talks about it in this way. In James 5.16, it says, Confess our sins to one another. Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Why? We usually look at that verse and say, oh, you need to confess your sins to another to be healed so that you have accountability in place. You have all those things. And again, accountability is fine. That's the cart, but don't stick the cart in front of the horse. The reason we confess is because religion will never heal us. Rules will never heal us. The only way we will ever be healed is not only for us to experience God's forgiveness, but to live in a community where we give and receive and experience forgiveness and acceptance from one another. That's the only way shame ever leaves our lives. And that's the reason we talk so much about friends with faith. Because friends know our junk and still love us. Are we willing to let people see us? Are we willing to be in the light and let people see us for who we are. It's the reason we do small groups, because healing doesn't happen in isolation. The best we can do is get a mystical sense of God's forgiveness of us and then create some rules, but we'll always end up having that corner of our lives that's never uncovered, where the shame is still there, where the embarrassment is still there, where we have to look good to other people. And as long as we have that in our life, we will never be completely free. Healing happens in relationship from the inside out means that we learn to accept God's love for us and accept other people's love for us. And that's scary because the reality is if you're going to be vulnerable with some people, you're going to run into religious people and whenever you are vulnerable with religious people, they will always reject you. 
Because for them, it's about rules, not authenticity. For them, it's about looking good, not being real. For them, it's about measuring up, not God's grace and God's light. For them, it's about them and their performance, not God's acceptance, regardless of their performance. Acts has a beautiful passage that we're going to begin to close with that illustrates how the early church lived this. It says in Acts 2, in 42, it gives us the core spiritual practices that they that they exhibited. And then the following verses after that, it talks about the results of these uh, behaviors and that they, did, that they did. In Acts 2.42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So their core spiritual practices were they were intentional in seeking teaching about God so as to renew their mind, to think rightly about God. The most important thing we can think about rightly is about God. It's the most important thing in our life. And they, they devoted themselves to fellowship, spending time doing life together. Church is not about our programs. Church is not about a building. It's about us living life together. And seeing God's presence among us. And applying what we learn together. Living life as friends with faith. And the breaking of the bread here is actually a reference to communion. The confessing of our sins to one another. And finding healing in the acceptance of God. And healing in the acceptance of others. Because communion in the other church was done as a corporate event. And involved in that was mutual confession of sin to one another. And then prayer, learning to hear God's voice, know His presence. And then it goes on and says, here's what those resulted in. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. God was moving powerfully. And that's the reason I started off this series last week with the question, do you really believe that the church can transform our culture? Do you really believe that? If it's a religion, then we end up in despair and we don't think it can. When we learn relationship, when we learn to be authentic with another, God moves powerfully. And then it says all the believers had everything in common and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone as they had need. This is radical generosity. This is taking initiative on the part of every one of us to care for whatever need was around. It's not an organized benevolence program. It's not an organized small group program. It's not an organized program that the church does. This is, this is God touching our lives so much that we all have a radical generosity with our time, with our care, with our empathy, with our money towards one another to care for one another's needs and that's what happens in authentic relationship every day they came together to meet in the temple courts for teaching they broke bread in their homes and ate together had fellowship and fun with glad and sincere honest real hearts praising god and enjoying the favor of all and the lord added to their number daily those who were being saved today as we take communion we take it as a corporate thing and I'm not going to ask you necessarily to go around and confess sin to one another, but I am ask, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to take it on your own as the song plays at your own pace. And I want, I want to challenge you. The bread represents the fact that God came near to us. He came in flesh. He came real. He came so we could be touchable. And I want to challenge you. Who are you real with? Who are you touchable with? Not just in your perfection, not just in your spit shine, but with who you are, period. And then the blood just simply represents this, that that he came to forgive us and establish relationship right where we're at, right in the midst. And the reality is 
we will never fully experience forgiveness until not only do we experience it mystically from God, but we commit to one another that we will live life together authentic in grace and forgiveness. And until we experience that same kind of love from other people, it will be hard for us to ever be healed fully of shame. So I just want you to think about that as you're, as you're taking your communion and ask God, would you help show me areas in my life where I can be more real and where you want to be more real to me through other people so that I can experience your grace? Enjoy the song and take communion at your own time. Here's the deal. The challenge is to be more open with each other. The reality of that process for us is that sometimes we're going to be vulnerable and we're going to run into, run into somebody else's religious wall and be rejected. But are we going to stop them? Or are we going to pursue this honesty and authenticity of relationship with one another that allows God's power to be among us in ways that we have only yet begun to imagine? Are we going to allow some rejection every now and then or disappointment to stop us? Or are we going to be resolved to learn to do this well, to give and receive love, to be open and honest with our strengths, with our weaknesses, to be known by people around us for them to see God's grace in us, even in all of our mucked upness, whether people reject us or whether people express the love we so desperately need for us to be free of the shame. I invite you to that journey. To me, maybe if nothing else, that defines the journey of quest, what we're all about as a people of quest. Would you join in that? God bless you. Have a happy Mother's Day. If you're here and would like prayer, uh, there'll be some people around or grab a friend. God bless you.